Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as we said earlier, we are into the book of Micah today. So we are halfway through the books of the what's called the Minor Prophets, the last 12 books of the Old Testament. We've gone through six of them, and over the next seven weeks, we'll go through the next six. And so we're halfway there, and today we're into Micah. So let's just get into Micah. Verse 1 is this, the word of the Lord, you're probably getting used to this phrase, word of the Lord came to Micah of Morasheth, where he's from, during the reigns of the kings of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So God gives words, truth-telling words for prophets to speak to different people. And they've all had a different, slightly different message, a lot of similarities, but even to different places, different people. Well, Micah is sent to a vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Those are cities, and they're circled up there for you. If you remember, God's kingdom is divided into two at this time, or God's people. The northern tribes rebelled from Judah and, and formed Israel in the north, and then Judah in the south. So Samaria is the capital of the north, Jerusalem's the capital of the south. So Micah is given a message to the leadership to the government, to the leaders. It's like when people say today, well, we need to send a message to Washington. Well, people don't mean we need to like find all the emails of everybody who's ever living in the Washington, D.C. area and get them one of those emergency... No, you mean a message to leadership of, of elected officials. That's what this is. A vision concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. God has words for the leaders, for the country leadership. So what is God's message he wants Micah to tell them, what is God's message, God's word for his leaders, presumably because they're prophets telling them what they haven't been doing. Well, here it is. So Micah 735 B.C., 8th century, 7th century. Isaiah is a contemporary of him. Isaiah is in the south, much more well known. But here's the message, and it's summed up in chapter 6. So we'll walk through some of that, but it gets to the summary in chapter 6. God has shown you. Human, oh man, oh human, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? What does God wish you were doing? To do justice and to, so wise, and to walk humbly with your God. So why is, Micah, why is God telling Micah to tell his people this and particularly the leadership this? It's because they haven't been doing it, right? They haven't been just, they haven't been merciful, and they haven't been humble. So that verse, this verse is... One of the big things Micah is known for, there's another I'll tell you in a second, but if people know something about Micah, they know this verse, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. So that's going to shape what we're going to talk about today, those three things. But first, I told you there were two things. If people know anything about Micah, they know two things. One is this verse, what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. The second thing people know about the book of Micah is this, in chapter 5, Micah explicitly says, prophesies, predictive, where the Messiah will be born. Bethlehem is named. It says, Bethlehem, you are too little to even to be counted among the clans of Judah, but from you will come forth one will be ruler of Israel. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord. Bethlehem doesn't get mentions any. It's like Hamilton does not get listed on the top ten you know, biggest cities in America. And is it even really a town? Nobody really knows, right? Uh, Hamilton makes Bethlehem look, you know, small. 
But here Micah in five, chapter 5 says, no, you're going to be the place where the Messiah is born. So that's the other thing Micah is known for. But the other thing is this, this verse, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. So let's take it part by part. First one, do justice. What does God want from us? That's it. Do justice. That's, that means God loves justice. God loves when the right things go to the right people in the right way. That's good. And so we've seen that throughout the prophets. There's been a lot of injustice, so a lot of the prophetic message is God wanting them to change and do justice. You see, that's God's, that God hates injustice. God hates evil. God is love so much that he's against evil and against injustice. And so real world things, like when, when millions of children suffer every day due to HIV in sub-Saharan Africa, I think it's safe to say God's against that. Or when families are impoverished and can't make ends meet solely because they have an unjust employer that either tries to pay them the bare minimum and even cheat at that. If that happens, God has something to say about that. It's all over the Bible. Or when people are discriminated against when applying for a job or for an apartment because of the color of their skin, God's not okay with that. So I want you to think of a time when you feel like you have been treated unfairly. Think about a time when you feel like you got the short end of the stick, when you were treated unjustly. And that can, that can get us angry pretty quickly, right? We, we want justice, especially for ourselves. Here's a great story about justice. It was in the L.A. Times many, many years ago. David Hagler was an umpire in a recreational baseball league. And he said, this is the story, he said, this is what happened to me. He said, I was driving... Too fast in the snow in the winter, and a policeman pulled me over and gave me a speeding ticket. I tried to talk him out of it, telling him how I worried about my insurance going up and all sorts of other stuff, but he wasn't buying it. He said I should go to court and try to get it reduced or thrown out. And he says, well, then the first game of the next baseball season, I'm umpiring behind the plate, and the first batter to come up is that very same policeman. I recognize him. He recognizes me. He asked me how the thing went with the ticket, and I told him, swing at everything. (laughs) We love justice stories, don't we, right? But we really, really want justice for ourselves, but do we also want it for other people? That's what God is telling his people through Micah. He's telling them to do justice, to act justly. Well, in order to do that, let's see some, we got to see some of the ways that throughout the book of Micah that God's people weren't acting justly. So there's four main ones that if you read through it, seven chapters, so we can't read all that, you know, in one day in worship here. So skimming through some of it, but there are four main injustices in the book of Micah that are outlined. And the first one is this, the powerful steal from the poor. So beginning to chapter two, There's strong words say, woe to those who devise wicked plans and and lay in their beds at night thinking how they can take things from other people, and then by the daylight, they go out and do that. And so some examples, he said, people covet fields and seize them, and other people's houses, and they take them away. They oppress, says a, a person, a man in his house, and their inheritance. So people who had more power than somebody else just going and taking what they wanted from them. That's the first problem going on. 
Second thing was this, selfish greed. Chapter 2 talks about people wanting to get rich at any expense. So no boundaries, no morals, no ethics. That They just did whatever it took to get more money from themselves or for themselves. Third thing that Mike is talking about is corrupt government. Chapter 3 also says that government officials, kings especially, would use their power to enrich themselves on the backs of and at the expense of those they govern. So people that God puts in government should be serving those under their care, and here they are exploiting those under their care. So that's the third thing. So corrupt government. And then here's the fourth. It is corrupt priests. So there are many priests that day that would preach health and wealth as long as the offering plate was full. They would tell you whatever you wanted to hear and, and say all the right things. They didn't care. They just wanted life good and comfortable for themselves. So chapter 3 talks about the prophets cry peace when they have something to eat and then cry war when they don't. And also it talks, uh, chapter 3 verse 11 says, government heads will give judgment for a bribe so they can be bribed into doing what you want. And priests will do the same thing. They'll teach for a price. They'll say whatever you want them to say if you just give them the money. So you have powerful sin from the poor, selfish greed, corrupt government, corrupt priests. Now, when you look at that list, if I didn't tell you it was the book of Micah, when might you think this was written? 2,700 years ago or last week? Right. When might you think, if you didn't know, this is blind, when might you think this was written? So I think it's amazing that if you look at the list and think how people acted in a completely different culture, different language, different time, different place, in a completely different world than we live in today, and yet it seems like it could have been written yesterday, doesn't it? Why? I believe it's because the human heart is every bit as broken and tempted today as it was back then. You see, I think the world has a justice problem because I have a justice problem. I think the world has a greed problem because at times I have a greed problem. I think the world has a selfishness problem because at times I have a selfishness problem. I put myself above others. And when push comes to shove, we do look out for number one, don't we? So yes, we do have some corrupt politicians in many facets of government and they are a rather easy target. But... How many of us know how we would act if we had power and could get away with stuff? How many of us actually know how we would act if you knew that you could get very, very rich and you could get away with it? You see, it's far easier to point the finger at other people instead of looking in the mirror and saying, no, I am the problem. I am selfish. If given the chance, well, I might throw somebody under the bus if it got me ahead. Or if given the chance or the opportunity, I might cut ethical corners if no one was looking. Or, or I might actually commit that sin if I thought I could get away with it. So instead of pointing fingers, we should look in the mirror and say, God, God forgive me. God, help me. And by the way, those who are trying to serve in, in government, God bless them and we should pray for them, God says. And especially those who are trying to do it with integrity. God needs people to serve in all parts of the world. God needs people to serve in government, and they are to do justice. And so, God bless our school board. Let's pray for them. God bless our city council. Let's pray for them and all, all other elected officials. May God lead them to do right. 
do justice. God loves justice. God wants us to do justice, even in small ways. We don't have to think of grand things. Just do something. Find a small way to do justice. Advocate for a parent who has a special needs child. Or contact your politicians when they don't act justly, even if they're the person you voted for. Or be a a kid's hope mentor and mentor a child who is at risk. Or donate to the college fund of an impoverished student. Do something. Do justice. That's the first thing. What's the second thing? Do justice. Love mercy. What does God also want from His people? To love mercy. Mercy is perhaps the best word in the entire Hebrew language. It's hesed. And it's often translated unconditional love, steadfast love. It's, it's God's character. God's unconditional love and mercy for His people, for you. When it says Yahweh is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in, it's this word, hesed, steadfast love, mercy, compassion. This is who God is. Love, mercy. You see, I think we love justice against other people and love mercy towards ourselves. We want others to be merciful with us, but then when we've been wrong, boy, do we want them to pay and we want justice. And here God loves both justice and mercy. Mercy, simply put, is not receiving what you deserve. Mercy is me speeding last year in the city limits of Holland and being pulled over in an unfair speed trap, I might add. (laughs) And the police officer was very kind and very respectful, and he had every right to write me a ticket, but he gave me a warning. And no, I was not wearing my clergy shirt, so I didn't even... But I deserved a ticket. I was speeding. But I didn't get one. That's what mercy is. And guess what? My boys were in the car at the time, too, so that meant we got to have a, a good conversation. So my boys thought the police officer was uh, in uniform was the coolest thing ever, and boy, Dad, you're really terrible for, you know, speeding and, and getting pulled over. I say, Dad, why'd you, why didn't you get a ticket? You deserved one. I'm like, yeah, I did. But he was kind and merciful, which is what God is like to us. We deserve punishment for our selfishness, our greed, our injustice, but God doesn't give it to you. God is just, but God loves mercy even more. Many of you know the story of the novel Les Miserables, Victor Hugo's famous book from 1862. The main character, Jean Valjean, spends 19 years in hard labor through the crime of stealing a loaf of bread to save his nephew from starvation. And by the time Valjean is released, the only, thing, the only life he knew was prison. And when he's released, he's briefly taken in by Bishop Bienvenu out of Christian mercy. However, though, Valjean, in this hasty and thoughtless act, he steals the bishop's silverware at night and then he flees into the darkness, yet he is caught. And he's caught and he's the next morning and he's dragged back to the bishop by the police. And when he's brought back, the bishop doesn't scold him or act upset or demand justice, which he could have. But the bishop claims that the silverware was a gift from him to Valjean, and then he gives him even more. He says, oh, you forgot the two silver candlesticks. They are a gift too. And that single act of mercy by the bishop sets off this chain reaction in Jean Valjean's life. 
that one act of mercy begins to transform him, and then he shows kindness to others. God loves mercy. Jesus dying for you on the cross opens the floodgates of God's mercy to you. Do justice, love mercy. Now, what's the third thing? Walk humbly with your God. What does God want from you? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And do you know how amazing that last part is? If you get a chance while it's still summer and while it's still warm, go outside on a very dark night and just look up. Particularly if it goes somewhere out of the city where it's like, go somewhere where there's not as many lights and look up. The God who created all that, the God of the galaxy who created the universe, the God who created the planet Jupiter, the stars, the comets, that God wants to walk with you. And he wants you to walk with him. The God of everything from the beginning of time, from Adam and Eve up to you and me gathered here today, that God wants to be with you. That God wants to walk with you and wants you to walk humbly with him. So what does that look like? What does it mean? What does it mean to walk humbly with God, or what could it look like? Well, in addition to the justice and mercy things we've been talking about, humility comes from spending time with God. If you spend time with God in His great presence, you will be humble. Spend time getting to know God. Get alone with God in prayer. Get alone with God in God's Word. If you want to know what God is like, read what He said. Read Micah. See that God loves justice and mercy and compassion and wants to, to you to walk humbly with Him. Or read Jesus, like today in the Gospel reading, talk about a despised Samaritan showing God-like mercy. Make time to, to be with God every day and, and worship. You see, it's really hard to be prideful when you're near to God. Or think about it this way. What if Christians were known for their humility? How much would that change the influence we have on people around us? What if Christians were known for humility? What if one of the first things people thought of when they thought of Christians or the church was they're really kind, humble people? If people thought that of us, how might we have better influence on those who don't know Jesus yet? Walk humbly with your God. You see, God is just. God loves justice. God will Come back when Jesus returns one day and make all things right. And in the meantime, God wants us to do justice. God loves mercy and wants us to be merciful. But the only way, the only way we're ever going to become just and merciful people is if we first see how much mercy God has had on us. Do you know how much mercy God has shown to you? Jesus was judged instead of you. As 1 Peter 3 says, For Christ suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus bears your judgment so that you can receive God's mercy. And then God wants you to walk humbly with Him. And the more the Holy Spirit works this into your heart, the more you will do justice and the more you will love mercy. And so then when you get to the very, very end of the book of Micah, the end of chapter 7, it shows God's character again, even though he wants justice and his people aren't doing it, and there are consequences, God's compassion and mercy, he shows. So this is how the book ends. Has who is a God like you, who pardons sin, forgives transgressions? You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. 
You will again have compassion on us. You will tread, on our, tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob, your people, and show love to Abraham as you pledged an oath to our ancestors. You will keep your promises. You see, that's how much mercy and compassion God has shown on you and me. And then because of that, here's what God says how to live. What does the Lord want from you? Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. So say it one time with me. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. May the peace of Christ that goes beyond our understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.